Good morning, everyone. Good morning, those of you online. Anyway, I'm Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's good to see you all. I'm part of our teaching team. I get to walk us through this text. We're in the middle of the sermon series, uh, Joy to the World, question mark. Uh, Everyone has had at least a moderate to severe experience of uh, losing this year. Uh, a variety of things, variety of ways, variety of deeply personal or non-personal things. There has been a lot of suffering, a lot of loss this year. And this is sermon series is all kind of going on. What does, how do we have joy in the midst of all that's going on? And today's sermon in particular is, um, how do you have joy when all seems lost? Sometimes all seems lost because all is lost. Sometimes all seems lost because you're just misreading the situation, but how do we have joy in the middle of this? How does that play out? What does that look like? How does that uh, go? And one of the things I like about this text right here in Habakkuk 3.16 is he's describing kind of the physiological or the, like the psychosomatic experience of fear. What does fear feel like? Most of the time, it's not just this kind of rational, I am afraid, I've calculated the outcomes and here's what's going on, but he talks about, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, this deep ache. You know, I kind of embarrassed myself just this past week uh, to my wife to the point where she laughed at me so hard she fell to the ground and was laughing at me. And this was because I uh, was, you know, every now and then will happen is, you know, it's kind of like late at night, you know, for us it's like 8.15, you know, and, and you're going, and we talk about going off the rails and you just kind of start eating Oreos. And you're like, how many have I eaten? And you're like, I don't. But then we don't usually have milk in the house because we're not four years old, but we had milk in the house because we have a one-year-old. And so we had this milk in the house. And I was really excited to have milk with my Oreos. And so I poured myself this big cold glass of milk after I'd gone off the rails on Oreos. And I started drinking this cold milk. It's, it was so cold that, you know, you don't even really taste it at first when it's so cold. And I get halfway through the glass. And all of a sudden, like, the acidic, sour, pungent smell hits my nose and I'm like oh and then I like all of like my ability to process words because I got rottenness entered my bones and I just said my tummy I'm scared (laughs) I had nothing to say it was not and, and I just and my wife you know not out of lack of sympathy but out of like you sound like a three year old fell to the ground laughing Last time I had drank raw, like, unbad, like, bad milk, it was, like, a couple hours later, my appendix ruptured, and I was in the hospital and vomit, and so, like, I connected the memories. Anyway, nothing happened. I was fine, uh, but rottenness entered my bones, and it was not, it was not, like, a rational decision-making. It was, like, this feels like, like you connect the memories, the experience, and all of a sudden, you're terrified, and there's, like, this, this fear that overcomes you. My legs tremble beneath me. And so what's, what's most confusing to me about this passage is, and this is what we're going to dive into, we're kind of, we read the end of Habakkuk 3, but I'm going to go back to see this. It's like, how does Habakkuk go from verse 16 saying, my legs are trembling beneath me, to verse uh, 19 when he says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. That his like physiological experience of what's going on goes from my legs are trembling to I'm like the deer on the mountain. I remember even as a little kid seeing a deer in the woods and thinking like I'm gonna sneak up on this deer. And you try to get it to the you try and all of a sudden bounce, 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 and the thing's gone. And it's just 
it, it moves so quick, so light, and compared to like rotten bones, heavy feet, what's going on? And so what happens in Habakkuk's mind that he is able to process through his fear with faith in such a way that his, even his physiological experience of reality changes? How does he do that? Because I don't think anybody in this room is like, I would like to have fragile faith. Sign me up for faith that when the going gets tough, you get out. <laughs> Sign me up for the faith that, you know, is easily shattered, easily broken. Sign me up for the faith that um, when things get a little difficult, I tap out and say, never mind, I'm an atheist. I don't think anybody in this room wants that faith. But here's the reality, is some of us have that faith. That you're one thing away from, never mind God. One loss away from, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Some of you might already be there. And today is like you're doing this for my spouse. But I'm out. How do we get there? And I want us to kind of tap into what I'm going to call like a, a healthy Jewish consciousness. Right? So I'm Jewish, so I'm going to make a joke here that you're not allowed to say uh, besides me, but the, you know, we, we, we like kind of the Jews have this kind of like prideful, and I mean this positively, like a sense of like there's like this hearty uh, honesty that almost can descend into cynicism, right? Kind of complaining or whatever it is, you know. Uh, I heard a joke and I thought it was really funny. It was like, you know, when there's a bunch of Jews out to eat, the waiter comes by and says, is anything okay? <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I want us to develop, and so obviously not to the point of just kind of like moaning and whining about nothing, but this kind of healthy, uh, the world is tough honesty about what's going on, right? Like, uh, we, we, all, we want a resilient faith, and I'm arguing that resilient faith takes um, something from us. And so um, there's this verse in Job 13 that I find really interesting. Here's what Job says. Though he slay me, talking about God, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my way to his face. God can kill me. I'm going to praise him. That's fine. He can do whatever he wants. Like that, that's the heart of faith. God is in control. He can do whatever he wants. He can kill me. I'll praise him. But I think the distinctness to this that I want us to tap into is the yet I will argue my way to his face. Like God can do whatever he wants, but he's going to hear about it. And so this is what I want us to see is that the heart of faith doesn't just ask how could a good God allow such a thing, but it really kind of personalizes it and says, how could you do this? Right? I, I want us to go from like talking about abstract, what could God, to really personalizing, God, how could you allow these things to happen? And that's some of what we're going to see here in Habakkuk. So I want us to kind of, here's the big question is, how do we go from Habakkuk 16 to Habakkuk 19? And here's what I want to, uh, here's the big idea we're going to lay on here is that fear asks what may come, which I'm going to say is sober and good, um, but faith says, come what may. Bring it on. I want Redemption Gateway to have a bring it on faith, a come what may faith. And I'm going to argue that there's, here's five ways that we can actually have that type of faith, and Habakkuk is going to show us the way. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. God, thank you for uh, your patience with us. 
Uh, God, I know that uh, this whole question of how do we have joy when all seems lost, uh, there's a lot that we have lost this year, uh, some substantially more than others, but none of us are alone in our sense of loss. God, I pray that you give us the ability to um, personalize our struggles, not just philosophize them or make them abstract, but that we could be people who pray, that we would not be just trying to get rid of fear, but we're trying to add faith to our fears. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. All right, the first reason, so here it goes. We can have joy when all seems lost because, one, sorrow is sane. Sorrow is sane. So we're looking at Habakkuk 3, 16. We read it already, and he says, um, I hear my body trembles. What is he hearing? Well, he's hearing the sound of the Chaldeans and their army and their horses raining down upon them right? There are the Chaldeans, and they are coming to eliminate and eviscerate and destroy Israel. And he says, I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. My legs are trembling beneath me. There's this real experience of sorrow, of fear, of anticipated loss. What does God have to say about that? This is kind of one of the things I want us to recognize here is that very often, yes, we do hear the command in Scripture to fear not, but the question is uh, most of the time the command in Scripture to fear not is not saying don't just remain in your fear, but it's a call to add faith to our fear. And so what we see in, in this verse is like actually God is responding to Habakkuk and telling him that your fears are actually well-founded and sober. Look with me in verse 7, Habakkuk 1, verse Seven, flip back there a sec. He's describing the Chaldeans, and he says, they are dreaded and fearsome. <laughs> yeah. Be afraid of them. They're killers. That's what they do. They are dreaded. Dread them. They are fearsome. Fear them. That's great. Romans 8.20 says about how the, the whole creation is groaning in pain. Likewise, we see Jesus, when his friend dies, weep. Are you going to go to Jesus when he's weeping and say, have faith, stop weeping? No, this is a sober, sane reality that when our emotional experience lines up with the suffering of reality, that is a sane, sober experience. And I want us as Redemption Gateway to be able to call a spade a spade, to tell it like it is, to call reality, reality, to say, that is scary. That is sad. That is terror-inducing. That is suffering. That is pain. That we need to be able to be honest about what is going on in reality. And very often, the most sober or sane thing we can do is weep, or cry, or be afraid because we're experiencing serious loss or are about to experience serious loss. And I just look around at the faces in this room of people I've met with, even in the last handful of months, that are stories I know, situations I hear of. And just like the, the list of, you should not have had to deal with that type of thing that your child is going through. That's not fair. It's not the way it's supposed to be. You should not have, have to deal with that reality that your parents are going through. Your parents should never have treated you like that. 
That situation at work that you're depending on, gone. That position that you occupied, eliminated. Right? We need to call loss, loss, and be able to soberly, insanely deal with reality. And if we kind of end up being these kind of like pseudo-optimistic, effervescent, nothing bad ever happens, just have faith people, it's just kind of nauseating. It's like all frosting and no cake. It's like all dessert and no dinner. We can have joy when all seems lost. And, and by joy, I mean this inner sense of contented delight in God, despite my circumstances. Or sometimes because of my circumstances. That I can really delight in the Lord when this bad stuff is happening. So here's another thing. Sometimes people think that suffering is disproving God's existence, right? Oh, you believe in God? Well, bad stuff happens, therefore God doesn't exist. And I want to say, if anything, suffering does the opposite. Suffering proves God's existence. Because if you believe in just a purely naturalistic view of the world, that all we are is a bunch of fizzing, chaotic accidents, then you don't have any grounds to call evil evil or any grounds to call bad bad. All you have is just preference that we've developed sociologically as we've randomly developed and evolved. So I want us to recognize that we should not shy away from calling suffering, suffering, and pain, pain, and bad, bad, because we believe that God created the world, there's a way things are supposed to be, and then there's a way that sin has corrupted the world, so there's this gap between God's design and our current experience. And being able to call bad, bad, and good, good, and evil, evil, is only possible if you believe that there's a creative vision that things have fallen from. And so you're sane when you call evil, evil. You are sane when you call bad, bad. You're not just expressing sociological preferences. But if you're a naturalist, all you can talk about is preference. The way that this situation is fizzing does not congrue with the way that my mind would prefer it to fizz. You don't have, a, you can, you don't have any ground to stand and call evil, evil. Suffering is sane. See Jesus at the foot of Lazarus' tomb weeping and tell him you lack faith. We need to soberly deal with reality as it is. That it's not like a glass half empty, glass half full thing. There's reality and there's God at work in reality. Next one is we can have joy when all seems lost because evil is on a leash. Evil's on a leash. It's really evil and it's really on a leash. I was in San Diego a couple of years ago and I saw the worst, scariest looking dog I've seen in my whole life. This thing was like one of those like American bulldogs, part bulldog, part uh, wild bull, you know? And it looked like they'd been like injecting it with like growth hormones since it was like four minutes old. And the thing was like the most like neck on top of a neck on top of a neck, just fangs and the drool, like it was like the, you know, like an, a river of drool, just this thing snarling and its front arms looked like a boxer and its back arms looked like a kangaroo. And it was just this <laughs> walks like this and it had spikes and then a gigantic chain that looked like you could pull a tractor with it. And it was a terrifying, I remember seeing kind of seeing the dog and thinking like, and being scared of the dog. And then I followed the chain up until I saw I was holding the dog. And then I was scared of that guy way more than I was scared of the dog. The guy was like 6'4", 300 pounds, 0% body fat, tattoos all over his face that I think mean I've killed a lot of people. And he was just, and they both walked the same, you know, and I just thought, oh my gosh, of all the people I've met in my whole world, I'm glad that guy is holding the chain that holds that dog. 
This is Habakkuk 1, verse 6. The Lord says this, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Be afraid of the Chaldeans, but I am raising up the Chaldeans. That we can not like the way that God is allowing the Chaldeans to exist. That's fair. I don't like that. From my perspective, not into it. But we have to recognize that the Chaldeans are on a leash and that the person holding the leash is way more scary than the people on the leash. Jesus says this in the New Testament, do not fear those who can destroy the body. Fear those who can destroy the one who can destroy the body and the soul. Psalm 2 talks about how the kings of the earth conspire together and say, let us break apart the bonds of the Lord and that the Lord laughs and holds them in derision. He scoffs. That this plan that evil has to get off the leash of the Lord, um, it's not happening. So this is, evil is really evil, but evil is really on a leash. That God is allowing things to unfold very often in ways that we won't like or we won't experience, but what we can't do is say that there is chaos. Because all we can have at best is the appearance of chaos because that chaos is under control and it's on a leash and God's holding it. That there are no accidents ultimately, period. And this is what changes our, I think, our faith crisis sometimes from um, does God exist, how could a God do that, to God, why would you do that? We make it relational, right? That's how I feel about a lot of the suffering and pain I see. Not like, does God really exist? But I do honestly, like that prayer of like Job saying, he can kill me if he wants to, but I'm going to argue my way to his face. God, why would you let that happen? What are you up to? What's the deal? God's always doing something. We don't always like it. Mostly because we don't understand it. That brings me to my third point. Um, God knows more than us. I just want us to rest in this fact that we are way dumber than God. <laughs> way dumber than God. A situation happened uh, pretty recently that I was pretty close to, and I had to make a really hard decision, and I kind of got some feedback before I made the hard decision, but I made the call, and then someone who was kind of related to the situation found out about what I did and got super mad at me. And there's about a couple of days where he was super mad. Can you believe that Seth would do that type of thing? What a fill-in-the-blank person, right? Then the guy, kind of mad, goes to his wife and says, hey, uh, can you believe that Seth would do this type of thing? And she goes, maybe there's more information than you have. And he goes, that's true. He calls me, and I tell him, hey, I can give you this much information that hopefully will help you feel a little bit better about me, <laughs> but there's a lot of information that I cannot and I won't give you because it'd be inappropriate. And I gave him a little bit of information, and he's like, oh, that helps a lot. Thank you. Like, I wanted to believe the best, but I lacked the information. Uh, and even not knowing the rest of the details, which I kind of want to know, but I think I want to know them for more like gospel reasons than like holy reasons. Uh, we're good. And I tell you, like, I like felt super loved by that guy. That he would like kind of give me the, mostly by his wife and then also by him, but that he would give me the, give me the benefit of the doubt for like a minute to say like, hey, what's going on in this situation? I go like, I can give you this much information, but I can't give you all of it because I'd be during confidence. And like, I just felt super encouraged. And like, also I go like, from his initial perspective, having the information that he had, he totally should have been mad at me. 
Because it, like, if, if you weren't mad at, and that's all that you, if those are the only three dots you had and like the 40 dots that were going on, you should be like, Seth is the worst. <laughs> that was the proper reaction based on the information that he had. This is one of the hard things for us. It is, I don't know if, like, I don't, read me back at 1 verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Do you think that if God told you what he was doing and what he was going on, that you would believe him every time? Because the answer is no, you wouldn't. If, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't even believe me. Not only that, but I think that like trying to explain how the stock market works to a monkey is probably like what it's like trying to explain how the world works to a human by God. We lack the ability, the vision, the capacity, the depth of insight, and even if we did understand it, we maybe wouldn't believe him when he gave it to us. We have to understand that their God's ways are higher than our ways. Deuteronomy 29, talk, 29, 29 talks about how the secret things belong to the Lord. It's that like God keeps secrets from us. And again, we're free not to like it, but it doesn't make it not true. One of the problems that's so annoying in our current culture moment is people go like, I don't like that, therefore it's not true. That's not how, that's not how truth works. Though he slay me, I'll praise him, but I'm going to argue my ways to his face. That's where I want us to, to live in this. So this is Habakkuk showing us, how does he able to do this? Um, and then uh, the next one I have is that false gods are failing us. This one's probably harder for us to stomach even in making sense of this. But some of the things that we have lost that have caused us to question our faith, we love too much in the first place. This is what I see playing out in Habakkuk 4. My body's trembling. I'll quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk's thinking, what is the worst possible thing that I could think of losing? And he's kind of doing like this thought experiment that if the harvest fails, this is like him saying, if all of my economic means are cut off and I'm absolutely destitute, can I praise God? One of the things 2020 has done for us as Redemption Gateway and for the church at large, it has so exposed our various idols and idolatries. Just like when you take away a toy from a child and they scream and yell, but you're going, you know, that was, you're gonna hurt yourself with that fork, you know, that's not even really a toy. Um, they don't understand what's going on, but God is, as a gift to us, taking away the things we trust and cling to that are not Him. And we might experience it as traumatic in the moment, and I don't want to minimize that experience, but He is still doing us a favor, causing our false gods, gods to fail us. Our economic security, our comfort, getting what we want from our government, having the job we anticipated having for forever, our family being on the same page about holidays and mask wearing, uh, our, our children raising up uh, and following the Lord, our parents following the Lord, our, our, our cousins and siblings and coworkers agreeing with me on things that I hold dearly. All of these things are just being stripped away at an alarmingly fast rate. And I just want us as a gateway to recognize 
that if our faith goes on trial when our circumstances fail us, that is because we worshiped our circumstances. God has not changed. Our circumstances have changed. Some of what God is doing is lovingly and graciously helping us see you don't trust in me as much as you thought you did. You actually trust in all this other stuff. Here's the question I want us to really wrestle with is what could happen that would derail your faith? Because that thing, maybe it isn't an idol or a false god, but it might be about to become one. I'm not saying like that you being emotionally affected by things equal it's an idol. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you're going, for it, I'm out on God. That thing was probably God to you, functionally. Not necessarily verbally, but functionally. And it is gracious for God to take away the things we're worshiping besides him. Last one. We can have joy when all seems lost because we are not alone. We're not alone. A couple uh, years ago, we just got a new puppy, um, which maybe will never happen again because now I have a child, and this puppy is just kind of a side project that I don't need the energy to deal with. But, but we're taking to get the dog... Um, snipped or can't reproduce, whatever you call it, take them to the clinic, you know, ruin their day, you know, so. <laughs> My wife and I go, and we kind of walk in, like, hey, so we, we hear from someone, like, hey, this clinic does it, like, so they do a good job, but it's real cheap, and like, sounds great to me. Um, we walk in this clinic, and it's just, like, happy hour on Noah's Ark, like, just <laughs> pandemonium, and there's, like, this there's like 40 people with their animals in there. Like half of them have like a variety of stray cats they've captured. And there's like this one sweet receptionist lady whose like hair is like (laughs) trying to like get everybody in order and having a terrible time. And I'm sitting there next to my wife and she knows that like I just feel claustrophobic in those situations where I'm like the unplanned incompetence is killing me. You know, I I just cannot. And I know that she knows, and I know that. And so there's like a, she just puts her hand right on my leg, and like, we kind of like eye contact, like, we'll talk about it later. (laughs) She need to get through it right now, you know. And we're not alone. And I don't, I don't mean to just trivialize some of the, the pain and suffering people have gone through. One of the most helpful things we can do is connect with people who have suffered similarly to us because you go, you too? Now I don't feel crazy. But here's what's crazy. is It's not just humans on this earth right now that we can do that with. But the whole heart of Christmas is that Jesus comes and takes on a body and suffers like we do. And so it's not just you and me going, you too, but it's God and me going, you too. 
that he gets it. He's walked this earth. He's, he's, he's taken on flesh, and he's been betrayed. He's had siblings who didn't understand him. He's had parents who didn't understand him. He's had close people to him walk away. He has suffered economic uh, lack of opportunity. He has, he has dealt with the things that we've dealt with. And so it's not just other humans can understand me, but it's God became human and he understands me. This is the uniqueness of the Christian God is that he's not just somewhere off dictating to us, I know how you feel, but he's up close and personal, born of a virgin saying, I have walked in your shoes. And I get it and I see it and I'm here for it. And so you might feel like nobody else on the planet Earth really gets exactly what it is you're going through. And I want to say that might be true with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he, born of a virgin, in the body, gets what it's like. And not only that, but he's omnipotent and omniscient in knowing all things while even having real, empathetic, bodily understanding of what it's like to be in a body where your body trembles, your lips quiver, rottenness enters your bones. So why is Habakkuk able to have joy when all seems lost? The Lord, my strength, he makes my feet like that of the deer. He's able to know and trust in God into the particulars of his situation, but there's something that we have that he doesn't even have. Something that we have that he doesn't even have. This is Habakkuk 2, 16. He's threatening the Chaldeans, the, the evil ones on the leash. He says, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. The cup begins to represent God's wrath in the Old Testament that evil people will get what evil people deserve. And so Habakkuk knows that. He knows God is the good judge. He knows what's about to happen. He knows what's coming down. But we get to see it fulfilled in Jesus. This is in the book of Matthew. Matthew, Jesus is praying right before he's crucified. He says in Matthew 26, 39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup Pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Later again, he says the second time he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. That the punishment that was due to the Chaldeans, ultimately Jesus takes onto himself. That we who think those Chaldeans, those bad ones, the gospels point to us and say, you are the Chaldeans. You are the rebels against God. You are not on some moral high ground, but we are sinners who are objects of God's wrath. And Jesus drinks the cup on our behalf, something that Habakkuk could only hope for and wish for. We as Christians now see fulfilled that we don't, aren't just comforted the fact that God will judge sinners. We are comforted by the fact that our sin has been judged in Jesus and so we can rest. We can have joy in all circumstances, even those circumstances in which we are the culprit because Jesus drinks the cup that we were meant to receive. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your work in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. God, I do ask that you uh, will give us faith, resilient faith, come what may faith, that we would trust in you even when our circumstances um, cause us to want to question you. In the name of your son we pray. Amen.